You are seeing Quentin Stevens, a 19-year-old college student with a history of asthma for an urgent care visit. He shares that his asthma symptoms have gotten worse this semester since he moved into a different dorm. He's been taking his albuterol dose every four hours for the last two weeks, and he's up at night coughing. On your physical exam, you hear diffuse wheezes in all airspaces. His initial peak flow is 65% of predicted, and it increases to 80% after two puffs from an albuterol inhaler with spacer. As you leave the room, you wonder, are there any changes to Quentin's medications that could help him get his symptoms under better control? Consider your answers as we begin this next episode. Welcome to Audiobricks. I'm Adam Weinstein, bringing pulmonology from our bricks to your ears. After completing this episode, you will be able to, one, describe the goals of asthma therapy, two, discuss the indications, mechanisms, and adverse effects of bronchodilating medications, such as beta agonists, antimuscarinics, theophylline, and magnesium, Three, describe the indications, mechanisms, and adverse effects of anti-inflammatory asthma agents, such as corticosteroids, anti-leukotrienes, and biologics. And four, develop a stepwise approach to pharmacologic management of asthma in the outpatient and acute setting. Part one, what are the goals of treating asthma? Asthma is a chronic, reversible, obstructive lung disease characterized by wheezing and dyspnea due to bronchial hyperreactivity and inflammation. It is often seen in patients with allergies. Its severity can range from mild to potentially life-threatening. Treatment approaches for obstructive lung disease all aim to improve airflow and expiration through either bronchodilation, that is, increasing diameter of the airways, or by reducing the underlying inflammatory response that causes the bronchoconstriction and increased mucus formation. Allergens and environmental triggers often exacerbate asthma, as do chemical triggers, such as cigarette smoke. The first step in managing asthma is to identify the allergens and triggers so that the patient can avoid or minimize exposure. This might include having the patient remove old dusty furniture or carpeting from the house, inspecting the house for mold, or assessing for known allergies, for example, pollen or pets. Most patients with asthma also require one or more medications to prevent and treat symptoms. Let's review with a quick question. What is the first step in asthma management? Identifying and removing asthma triggers is the first step in managing asthma. Part 2. Which medications are used for bronchodilation and asthma? During an asthma exacerbation, Bronchial smooth muscle constriction limits airflow. Therefore, bronchodilating medications can be used to reverse the constriction. These agents dilate the smooth muscle within the bronchi, increasing their diameter and improving airflow. Beta-2 adrenergic agonists are potent bronchodilators that are most commonly used as the first-line medications in asthma. Beta-2 adrenergic agonists work by stimulating the beta-2 receptors found on smooth muscles in the lung. The beta-2 receptor is a G-protein-coupled receptor that, when stimulated, activates adenylcyclase. When activated, the adenylcyclase produces cyclic adenosine monophosphate, or CAMP, which causes smooth muscle relaxation, resulting in bronchodilation. Beta-2 adrenergic agonists are divided into short-acting beta-2 agonists and long-acting beta-2 agonists. 
Short-acting beta-2 agonists such as albuterol are inhaled as needed for acute asthma symptoms or exacerbations. They should not be used for prevention of asthma exacerbation, rather only to manage acute symptoms. Long-acting beta-2 agonists such as salmeterol are prescribed to prevent and attenuate symptoms in patients with moderate to severe symptoms. These are given daily as maintenance inhalers to keep the airways more open. Injection of the potent beta agonist epinephrine is occasionally used in emergency situations for life-threatening acute asthma exacerbations when patients do not respond to other therapies or if there is suspected anaphylaxis. Beta-2 adrenergic stimulation of organs may lead to side effects, including a rapid heart rate, dizziness, headache, skeletal muscle tremors, and hypokalemia. Muscarinic antagonists are another class of bronchodilators and may be used as an adjunct to beta-2 agonists, usually when initial medications are not sufficient alone. These medications prevent bronchoconstriction by competitively inhibiting parasympathetic muscarinic receptors, M3 receptors specifically, on the airway smooth muscle. Like beta agonists, there are both short-acting and long-acting anti-muscarinic agents. Ipratropium, an inhaled short-acting agent, is often used in emergency departments as adjunctive therapy for moderate to severe acute asthma exacerbation. It is not usually prescribed as a first-line bronchodilator. Teotropium is an inhaled long-acting muscarinic antagonist. It must be used, or may be used rather, for maintenance therapy in patients who cannot tolerate the side effects of long-acting beta agonists or when the latter are ineffective. Adverse effects relate to parasympathetic inhibition and include headache, dizziness, nausea, and dry mouth. Now let's discuss a class of medications called methylxanthines. Theophylline, which is a close relative to caffeine, was once widely used to treat asthma and chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, but it is now used much less because of adverse effects. It is generally used only when other agents have failed. Theophylline, a methylxanthine, is a phosphodiesterase inhibitor and adenosine receptor antagonist. Both mechanisms promote airway smooth muscle relaxation and bronchodilation. Adverse effects include nervousness, tremor, and tachycardia. In addition, theophylline is metabolized via the cytochrome P450 pathway, so potential interactions with other drugs must be considered. The adverse effect of cardiac dysrhythmia is a big reason why it is no longer used very much. Lastly, intravenous magnesium in the form of magnesium sulfate is an effective and potent bronchodilator. Because of vasodilation and blood pressure lowering effects, it is used only in emergency management of asthma. It causes bronchodilation, likely by inhibiting calcium influx into smooth muscle cells. It is administered as a single intravenous bolus dose. And now for a question break. What are some of the most common adverse effects of anti-muscarinic agents? Adverse effects include headache, dizziness, nausea, and dry mouth, caused by parasympathetic inhibition. Part 3. Which medications are used to reduce inflammation in asthma? Anti-inflammatory drugs are now first-line medications for treating and preventing asthma exacerbations, alongside beta agonists. Inhaled corticosteroids are a common first-line medication 
added to patients with frequent asthma symptoms if beta agonists alone are not sufficiently controlling symptoms. This makes me wonder, could this class of medication be useful for our patient Quentin to cut back on his symptoms? These medications work by suppressing the inflammatory process in the airways, decreasing the reactive bronchoconstriction that occurs when a patient is exposed to an asthma trigger. Inhaled corticosteroids include beclomethasone, budesonide, and fluticasone. To be effective, they must be used regularly, even in the absence of asthma symptoms. Their purpose is to keep inflammation at a reduced level and prevent asthma symptoms even from developing in the first place. This is sometimes counterintuitive, so spending the extra time ensuring good patient understanding and education will save patients from relapses and morbidity and mortality in the long run. Oral corticosteroids, such as prednisone, are also often used in patients with asthma. These are more often used in the setting of a moderate to severe acute asthma exacerbation. They are given as a short course to reduce inflammation and potentiate the effect of bronchodilators. These are not acceptable to be used daily for prevention because of serious long-term side effects from ongoing systemic use, including immunosuppression, hyperglycemia, hypertension, and weight gain. Intravenous corticosteroids are sometimes used too, though only in the management of severe asthma exacerbations when patients are in severe respiratory distress or failure and not responding to the therapies we've discussed already. Fortunately, inhaled corticosteroids have fewer side effects. The most significant adverse effects of inhaled corticosteroids are hoarse voice and oral candidiasis. Okay, question break. What are the most common adverse effects of inhaled corticosteroids? The most common adverse effects of inhaled corticosteroids are hoarseness and oral candidiasis. Anti-leukotrienes, also called leukotriene receptor antagonists, are another class of medications used to reduce inflammation and asthma. These are often started if inhaled corticosteroids have not been sufficient to control and prevent asthma relapses. However, in the setting of asthma triggered mainly by allergic triggers, it may be considered as the first-line agent to prevent asthma exacerbations prior to starting an inhaled corticosteroid. These medications inhibit the action of leukotrienes, which are potent inflammatory mediators. Montelukast and Zafiolukast work by blocking the cystinal leukotriene receptor, normally activated by leukotrienes. Xylutan blocks leukotriene production by inhibiting lipoxygenase. These medications have very few adverse effects. Montelukast and Zarfilukast are generally well-tolerated. Xylutan is associated with hepatotoxicity. The medication chromalin sodium is now used less frequently compared to inhaled corticosteroids and anti-leukotrienes. It can be inhaled prophylactically before exposure to a known asthma trigger or can be used as a long-term maintenance therapy. Chromalin is traditionally termed a mast cell stabilizer. Chromalin sodium has no significant adverse effects, but it occasionally causes throat irritation and coughing. The last class of medications we'll discuss are biologics. Biologics are monoclonal antibodies used for patients whose asthma is caused by perennial allergies and who have difficult to control symptoms despite the use of all the agents we already discussed to prevent asthma exacerbations and control symptoms. New monoclonal antibody agents are being developed from asthma on a regular basis. These inhibit various parts of the immune response related to asthma and include amaluzumab, a monoclonal antibody against IgE. It treats atopic asthma by binding to IgE, preventing mast cell activation and type 1 hypersensitivity reaction to allergens. 
dupilumab, an antibody against the IL-4 receptor, mepolizumab and reslizumab, a monoclonal antibody against IL-5, benralizumab, an antibody against the IL-5 receptor, and tezepelumab, an antibody against thymic stromal lymphopoietin, a cytokine that mediates the immune response in asthma. Let's test our knowledge with another question. Mast cell stabilizers prevent the release of which substance? Mast cell stabilizers prevent the release of histamine. Part 4. What is a stepwise approach to the outpatient management of asthma? In the outpatient setting, the pharmacologic management of asthma occurs in a stepwise manner based on the severity of the disease. Drugs that are commonly used in a stepwise approach to asthma management begin with short-acting beta agonists, as needed for symptoms. Therapy is escalated to a daily medication if symptoms are frequent or persist. If this is the case, the first-line daily medication is typically an inhaled corticosteroid. If this is insufficient because of frequent relapses or persistent symptoms, then a long-acting beta agonist is typically added, or in children with allergic triggers, sometimes an anti-leukotriene is added. If these are not sufficient, then a long-acting muscarinic antagonist may be added, more so in adults than in children. Beyond this, we get to the rare occasions where methylxanthines remain in use or biologics are begun. Let's review our knowledge with a quick question. What is the first step in outpatient pharmacologic management of asthma? Using a short-acting beta-2 agonist inhaler as needed is the first step in the outpatient pharmacologic management of asthma. Part 5. What is a stepwise approach to emergency management of asthma? The approach to managing an acute asthma exacerbation is different. The management begins similarly with short-acting beta agonists for fast-onset bronchodilation. For more moderate or severe exacerbations, it will be given in combination with a short-acting muscarinic antagonist for additive effects. Additionally, for moderate to severe exacerbations, or when the short-acting beta agonist does not appear to be sufficient, a systemic corticosteroid is added, typically an oral corticosteroid for a five-day course, to reduce airway inflammation and allow healing from the trigger. For those still refractory or with severe symptoms despite the above medications, IV magnesium sulfate is added, and if still needed, IV beta agonists, such as epinephrine or terbutaline, are added. Oxygen should be given as needed to support dyspnea and oxygen saturation. If respiratory distress continues or escalates to respiratory failure, positive pressure ventilation may be needed with BiPAP or intubation ventilation. Let's finish off our discussion of asthma management with another question. Which medications are administered if an acutely ill patient with asthma does not respond to inhaled short-acting beta-2 agonists and hypertropium? Systemic corticosteroids are the next medication given to an acutely ill patient with an asthma exacerbation not responding sufficiently to inhaled short-acting beta-2 agonists and hypertropium. And that's all I have today for asthma management. Let's see if we've completed our goals for this episode. Can you describe the goals of asthma therapy? (laughs) 
Asthma is a chronic obstructive lung disease characterized by bronchiolar hyperreactivity and mucosal inflammation that leads to episodic small obstruction of the small airways. So the goals of therapy are to reverse bronchoconstriction using bronchodilators and reduce airway inflammation with anti-inflammatory agents. Next, can you discuss the indications, mechanisms, and adverse effects of bronchodilating medications such as beta-2 agonists, antimuscarinics, theophylline, and magnesium? Inhaled beta-2 agonists are the first-line agents for acute asthma. They stimulate the beta-2 receptors found on the bronchial smooth muscles, resulting in bronchodilation. Inhaled muscarinic antagonists may be added for acute management of asthma and block muscarinic receptors on the bronchial smooth muscles and inhibit bronchoconstriction. Methylxanthine, such as theophylline, are phosphodiesterase inhibitors and adenosine receptor antagonists. Due to side effects, they are less commonly used, but are alternative agents that lead to bronchodilation. Magnesium relaxes smooth muscle and is used in emergency management of asthma refractory to short-acting beta agonists, short-acting muscarinic antagonists, and systemic corticosteroids. Can you describe the indications, mechanisms, and adverse effects of anti-inflammatory asthma agents such as corticosteroids, anti-leukotrienes, and biologics? Corticosteroids reduce bronchoconstriction by reducing the inflammatory process within the airways. Inhaled corticosteroids are used as a daily medication for prevention of asthma exacerbations or symptoms in those with frequent relapses or persistent symptoms. Systemic steroids are used to reduce inflammation in moderate to severe acute exacerbations. Anti-leukotrienes reduce airway inflammation blocking the systemal leukotriene receptor and by inhibiting the production of leukotrienes. Biologics are monoclonal antibodies that target inflammatory mediators such as IgE, IL-4, and IL-5. They are used in severe refractory cases with allergic triggers. Next, can you develop a stepwise approach to pharmacologic management of asthma in the outpatient setting? The pharmacologic management of asthma as an outpatient occurs in a stepwise manner. Treatment begins with as-needed short-acting beta agonists, followed by the addition of inhaled corticosteroids for those with frequent or persistent symptoms. If symptoms remain frequent or persistent, then anti-leukotrienes, long-acting beta-2 agonists, or long-acting anti-muscarinics may be started depending on the trigger and the patient's response. If still not sufficient, for patients with allergic triggers, biologics may be given. Lastly, can you develop a stepwise approach to pharmacologic management of asthma in the acute setting? Treatment progresses from inhaled short-acting beta agonists combined with short-acting inhaled muscarinic antagonists to the addition of systemic corticosteroids if still not sufficiently improving or sustained. For severe exacerbations, IV magnesium, and if still refractory, IV epinephrine or terbutaline may be added. Patients may need supplemental oxygen, and those with ongoing respiratory distress or failure may need positive pressure ventilation and intubation. And that's all I have today for asthma management. Let's get back to our patient from the beginning of this episode. Thinking back to Quentin Stevens, who is presenting to your urgent care clinic describing more frequent and persistent asthma symptoms since moving into a new dorm on campus, you wonder, 
Are there any changes to Quentin's medication that could help him get his symptoms under better control? You immediately recognize that Quentin needs to advance along to the next step in the outpatient management of asthma. Given the new dorm, perhaps there is mold or another trigger in his new environment that is leading to worse control. You explain to Quentin that his albuterol has clearly not been enough and is not doing anything to address the inflammation in its airways that is aggravating his asthma. You discuss starting an inhaled corticosteroid and explain that he needs to use this inhaler every day, whether he has symptoms or not. This medication helps keep the inflammation in his airways down and is only affected if used daily. If he has symptoms, he can and should still use the albuterol inhaler, but you hope this other inhaler will make his need for albuterol much less frequent. Quentin repeats back and demonstrates his understanding of how to use the two medications. He thanks you as well, as all that albuterol has been making him feel jittery and it's been harder to concentrate on his studies. And that's all I have today for today's audio brick. Thanks for joining me. If you like this episode, give it a thumbs up or a comment. You can enjoy the full brick experience online at www.usmle-rx.com, complete with illustrations, questions, flashcards, and active learning. Stay healthy out there.